0: Surprise! Surprise! Marriage takes work, and it's a great amount of work to make a great marriage. And so, how do you make marriage work? And what is the great work of making a great marriage? And so, let's talk about this. You know, we're doing this series. First comes love, which is kind of like I don't know Jay and Margaret sitting in a tree. Now some of you are like, I hate that. I hated it when I was in kindergarten. And I have to keep hearing it. And some of you online with us. And you're like, oh, this is fun. You're like kind of making fun of each other. Um, First comes love. Then comes marriage. And then we'll talk about babies next week. Uh, So today we're talking about marriage. Yay. Uh, And some of you wives, you women out there, you're like, Finally. Like, I, I know this. The women are like, this is amazing. Finally, a sermon series about love and relationships and marriage. And all of you guys are like, ugh. I was just starting to like this guy, Patrick. And now he's dragging me into marriage therapy. And I thought I would like this church. I mean, it's cool church. You know, like you have all the things you like. And then you're like, and, and now he went there. I want to leave. I want to turn it off. And you're almost, you almost wish you could just turn it off right now, except you're embarrassed because you're like, my wife will kill me. And so now you're going to stay with us. And so here's the thing, right? Like, talking about marriage is like, I don't know, let, let's, let's come up with a couple illustrations of this. You know how, like, women, when you get in the car, you don't expect to have to work on the car. You just expect it to work. And if you hear a sound, most of you will just turn up the radio. You just turn up the volume. Except my wife, who, when she heard a sound in the car, like a a knocking sound, she called me. She was like, Patrick, what do I do? I mean, like, the car is, like, knocking, like, dunk, dunk, dunk. Let me do it again. Dunk, dunk, dunk. And I was like, ah, don't worry about it. Just keep driving. Just go faster. That's, like, my favorite line is just go faster. So finally, like, she's had enough. She's like, this cannot be good. And so she pulls over. There was one lug nut left on the, one of the front tires. And some of you, your marriage is running All the lug nuts have fallen off except one. And you got one lug nut left and you're trying to go faster. you're like, what's wrong with this thing? And, you know, it's fast. It's like, let's go. Don't worry about it. Um, So that's how I want to say this, ladies. That's how a lot of guys feel about when you say to them, like, one of the scariest things you could ever hear as a guy is like, we need to talk. You want to know why? Because he, here's what that means to us. It's not that we need to talk. It's like when you hear a sound in a car. Something is wrong, and we need to talk about it because I need not. It's not just that I want to fix it. I want to fix you, right? What we hear is it's not that there's something wrong. It's that there's something wrong with us, and, and you want to fix us, and so that's scary. Because frankly, we're we're like the way you handle the car. We just want to get into the marriage, we want to turn it on, and we want it to run without a lot of work. And and guys, let let me just kind of give you a little bit of insight, right? Like... um, Think about like when you hear a sound. Now, this this is true for even guys that have no mechanical skills whatsoever in the car. Because my dad was super like technical, like he could work on a car, he could get underneath it. He came out all dirty and greasy, and I had no idea what he was doing underneath the car. So now today, even as an adult, like if there's something wrong with the car, I just instinctively will pop the hood and just stare in it. (laughs) Like, it's going to work. No matter just the fact that I'm here, I'm, I just start tinkering. I just start pushing stuff. I start pulling out the rod. And, like, the fact that I'm tinkering, I will fix this. And, and if Laura, Laura does this thing, so now we're talking marriage, right? Like, so I'll, call da- I'll call my dad. I will pay twice as much to bring it to the mechanic just so that you don't insult my manhood. Like, I'm looking in the engine. I got this thing figured out. And if I can't figure it out, there's no other guy on earth except the mechanic that can fix this thing. Okay, but here's the thing, right? Us guys, we'll tinker. There's things that you do. You'll just, even if it works, you'll tinker with it just to keep it working. Because you know that if you don't tinker with it, it eventually won't work. Well, that's kind of how marriage works. And, and so he, here's the challenge, right? We all come into marriage carrying, I know you all want these, but you don't know what you're asking for. We all come into marriage carrying a box of expectations. And the challenge with marriage is that because we bring in a box of expectations, um, we, we put on our spouse things that they could do, and should do, and we expect them to do, and it makes marriage hard. Not just hard work, it makes it impossible. Why? Because our expectations come from our experiences, experiences that we want to recreate or avoid right? There are some experiences you've had that you're trying to recreate. These are great experiences. These are things, Your dad made you feel safe, and now you expect your husband to make you feel safe. Now, that sounds like a reasonable expectation, right? It comes from your experience, and you're trying to recreate it. Or maybe you grew up in a home that didn't feel safe, and so you're trying to avoid that, and so you expect your spouse to make sure that you avoid any feelings of not or anything that makes you not feel safe, right? And so we bring uh, our desires into marriage, and those desires become an expectation. We we expect our spouse to be uh, to bring loyalty in the relationship, right? What what else? So who knows? I'm just gonna kind of reach in here and tear the box apart because this is so much fun. It's like Christmas. Um, we we bring into marriage a, a, des- a need for security. You're going to make me feel safe, or, or maybe, maybe how family is handled, right? How we're going to interact with my parents and your parents, what we're going to do with the in-laws, how we're going to spend time on the holidays, right? Those are all expectations that we bring. You, may, maybe there's expectations that have been started because of your past, right? What you've experienced, what you want to recreate or what you want to avoid. Maybe it's the pains and the hurts of your past that have become an expectation. Maybe it's your fears, And all of these get thrown in the box of expectations that we then carry into marriage and we hand to our spouse and we say, here, you're going to take care of this. And it's impossible, right? right, We have expectations about how we're going to spend time and spend time together. We have expectations about how we're going to make money and spend money and how you can spend money, and we have expectations about attention, and how we give each other attention, and affection, and where that affection goes, and how often that affection should go that direction. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I, I really crafted that statement. I thought you all would get a chuckle. Those of you behind computers, I know you're laughing. Um, we, we have expectations about communication, and conflict, and how conflict is resolved. Okay, fine. Guys, Aren't you saying that's exactly what sex is for? I thought that was the whole point. We resolve conflict that way. Okay, right, so that's an expectation. We have an expectation about spirituality, about spiritual life, about prayer, about church. The challenge is that what we bring in to marriage, the expectations we put on the other, the box that we carry around, makes marriage really hard. Hard to make it work. Some of you are driving down the road, and you're just turning up the volume on the stereo so that you don't have to listen to the noise, while others of you are hearing a knocking sound, and you got one lug nut left holding your marriage together, and you're like, help! And so let's talk about this. I want to jump into a story of a couple. And their story is recorded in the Bible, and through this sermon series, First Comes Love, we're looking at famous couples in the Bible, what we can learn from them, either what to avoid or what principle we can follow that they did well. And so we're jumping to the story. Uh, I'm going to give you the quick background. This is actually a short story, and the whole story, the whole book of the Bible, is written about this couple. And, And so let me give you the context Uh, Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, they leave the town they're from, Bethlehem, which a a little side note, they leave because there's a famine in the nation of Israel. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. And so they left Bethlehem because there was no bread in the house of bread. And they went to a foreign country. They went to Moab uh, with their two sons, which is a desert area in uh, a foreign country. Actually, a foreign country that they really shouldn't have gone to. Like, it's a for like, like you don't go there. Uh, but they go there with their two sons. Their two sons get married in Moab. And then about ten years later, both Elimelech and the two sons die, leaving Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws destitute alone. And in, remember, in this context, in this culture, where it's really a patriarchal society, and men are the workers, right? They own the businesses. They own the family farm. And so these women are really destitute. They're in poverty. They have no protection, no provision. And uh, so uh, eventually Naomi says, look, I got to go home. The famine was over. And so she goes, I'm going back to Bethlehem. And her two daughter-in-laws initially say, okay, we're going to go with you. But uh, Naomi says, no, don't come. You know, what do I have to offer you? What am I going to do, have more kids? You can marry one of my sons again? No, like, I have nothing to offer you. Stay here with your family. And uh, one of the daughter-in-laws, Orpah, she says, okay, fine. But uh, Ruth says, no, I'm coming with you. And there's this really special moment. It's not between a husband and wife. It's between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. She says, you know, do not compel me to leave you. Wherever you, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. It's a really special quote. And, and so Ruth goes with Naomi. They go back to Bethlehem. And there, they just return in poverty. And I'm going to jump into the story right there. Ruth chapter 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And so many of you, you enter a relationship a lot like this. <laughs> You're just picking through the fields, seeing what's left over. You, you've been hurt, you've been broken, your expectations have been shattered, you don't bring a whole lot, and, and you feel like you don't have a lot to offer. And so as a result, it's like, man, whoever would just look favorably on me, I get, I'm just stuck picking up the pieces and pick up picking up the leftovers. But regardless of your pain, regardless of your insecurities, regardless of your fears, every one of us come into a relationship. And most of us come into marriage, not only needy, but looking for the other person and we're asked the question how can they meet my expectations. We're asking the question how can they meet my needs. We're not going into the relationship saying how can i meet their needs. Now you might, you know, when you're feeling flirty, you're thinking, oh, how do i how do, how am i going to take care of them? How am i going to look after them? But most of us here's what we're doing. We're carrying our box of expectations. And because we're carrying this around, we're thinking how can they meet My expectations. This is what we're carrying around. And so we're trying to pick up a relationship, which is kind of like trying to find the scraps of life, that somebody can take care of me and meet my needs. And here's the challenge with meeting needs. You're never good enough, are you? Because you go through life feeling like somebody owes you something. Let me be really clear. I want to give you this statement. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your fiance, your spouse, they volunteered for this. I don't mean a volunteer like in the army where you sign up, you volunteer, and then they own you. I mean, your spouse doesn't owe you anything. They volunteered for this. Okay, as a result, here here is the challenge, right? We go into marriage with our box of expectations, but instead of recognizing that they don't owe us anything, we think they owe us everything, and so we put on them these expectations of our hopes and our desires, our demands, and here's what happens. When we put it on them, when it's an expectation, meeting that expectation gets you to even, It means you're doing just enough by meeting that expectation. And when you go through life feeling like no matter how hard I try, I'm only doing just enough to meet the expectation of the other person, the other person never owes us gratitude. Listen to me carefully when you put expectations on someone, even though you don't recognize their expectations, you're putting a demand on them that no matter what they do, it's never enough unless the expectation is fully met. Let let me use the idea of a mortgage. When we pay our mortgage, we do not get thank you cards from the mortgage company. Why? Because we made an agreement that we would pay this amount of money every month in return for the money they gave us to buy the house. And so as a result, we are meeting the expectation of the contract if we don't send them enough money they don't send us like a a thank you note like hey thanks for how much you sent us by the way we'd really appreciate if you'd send us a little bit more next time no they send you a foreclosure notice okay so let's think about this many of you are going through life feeling like what you do is never enough for your spouse no matter how hard you try, it's never enough because you're always just trying to get to even because no matter what you do, it's not good enough to meet the expectation. And so as a result, here's what happens. When you put an expectation on your spouse, and no matter what they do, they can't get to even, you're robbing them of the opportunity to say, I love you through that particular act. If they were to, if they were to focus on one of your desires... In love, you would not perceive it as love because you have an expectation that they fulfill that desire. And if they don't quite meet the expectation, they aren't doing enough. And so they get frustrated because no matter how hard they try, it's never enough. And they want to quit and give up. And you're frustrated because they're not meeting your expectations. Your spouse comes home. And he, lo- he looks around the house, because he expects it to be clean when he gets home, and he's frustrated because it's not clean enough. And instead of recognizing that your wife did everything she could while managing the kids and doing whatever else she had to do, that whatever got cleaned up was an act of love, your frustrated it didn't meet your expectation. Wives? You have an expectation that your spouse plays with the kids more. But because you have such a high expectation, no matter how much time he spends with the kids, it's not enough, and so you're frustrated because he's, he's basically coming in below average. He's getting a C minus, and you constantly are telling him how much of a disappointment he is in meeting your expectations, okay? So what's the point? The challenge is this, and I'm going to show this to you in this couple, Ruth, who meets Boaz. Marriage works when it's about we and not me. You got to make it about we and not me. And this is not easy. This is hard work. And if you want a great marriage, you have to do a great amount of work. It's a lot of work to focus on we and not me and lay aside your expectations so that you can build a great marriage. I'm going to jump back into this story. Ruth is out, and she's picking up the the grain on the fields. Someone notices her. Let's let's jump into a story. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted his harvesters. The Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you. We're going to keep reading here. Um, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that... Who does that young woman belong to? Like, who is she married? Who is she connected to? She, and she asked him, why, oh, I'm sorry, let me, let me pause here. Um, he comes in, he's blessing everybody who works for him, and he takes notice of Ruth. And, and the part I want to really point out to you is this. Here's Ruth who feels, you know, she's in poverty, she's got nothing to offer, and this guy sees her like he sees everyone. person created by God who's valuable and precious deserving of value and honor. And so he gives her attention. He, he gives her favor. And she's like, wow, what, why, why would you be so gracious to I me? Mean, in fact, that's what she asked. So let's, let's continue reading the story. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law in, since the death of your husband. How, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and co- have come to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. So I'm going to give you a quick fast forward. This little romantic story. Um, Ruth and Boaz eventually get married. It's a really sweet story. You got to read it. It's in the Bible. Um, It's really good. It's a cool story. They get married. They fall in love. They get married. It's really sweet. Uh, Boaz is wealthy. Obviously, he's a landowner. He's got a large estate. And, uh, you know, he brings uh, Ruth in. Obviously, they get married. He cares for Naomi. They have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David, who becomes the greatest king in all of the nation of Israel before Jesus. Interestingly, right, um, Ruth becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. So you could say that Ruth and Boaz's story points to Jesus and the reason their marriage. <laughs> The reason why their marriage matters is because of Jesus. And something I have said throughout this series is before you go trying to find the one, find the one in Jesus, focus on a healthy me before a healthy we I mean you gotta get your own heart right before you're ever gonna have a healthy relationship. Because two incompletes don't make a whole. Two broken people make a broken marriage. And so you gotta be a whole person if you want to have a healthy marriage. And so how do you get your heart whole? Well What you saw in Ruth and Boaz is here's a guy who has a relationship with God and he blesses the people around him. He was able to be a blessing to Ruth and he was able to see in Ruth the the good things of God. He was able to see her value and the fact that she is a treasure because he saw her through the eyes of God because he knew who he was in God. And so if you fast forward to the person of Jesus, how do we find the one in Jesus? Because we recognize that God loves us. Now, I don't want you to come to faith in Jesus and I don't want you to continue to believe in Jesus so you can have a great marriage. I don't want you to believe in Jesus so you can receive love, so you can love others well. No, you and I, we we believe in Jesus because we recognize that we're broken and life doesn't work. Love doesn't work. Marriage doesn't work. Not well, not without Jesus. And so I believe in Jesus because I know I'm broken. I have sinned. I have rejected God and I've gone in the wrong direction. And because I recognize my sin and that sin leads to ruin and forever death, I believe in Jesus because he died on a cross for my sins and he rose miraculously from the dead. I believe in Jesus because when he died, he died for me. He died for you. I'm inviting you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to say yes to Jesus because we need his love. We need God to forgive us and give us new life to take away our eternal death sentence. If you're making that commitment right now, not so you can have a great marriage, not so that you can love others well, just because you recognize I need to believe in Jesus. I need him to forgive me of my sins and give me new life. If that's the commitment you're making, you let us know. Let us know by texting the name Jesus to 81411. When you make that commitment, you're going to get a, you're going to get a reply on that text. It's going to send you a link on how you can begin this new journey, this new relationship with Jesus. Here's what I do know. While you're not believing in Jesus so that you can have a great marriage, you're not believing in Jesus so you can figure out this love thing with others. What I do know is this, that when you believe in Jesus by faith, he does help you live life better. When you believe in Jesus by faith, he will make you better at life. He will make you better at marriage. It doesn't mean that marriage is still not going to be hard work. He will just give you the love you need to love your spouse well. And so I want to dive in and give you a couple brief principles on how you make marriage about we and not me. How you get your marriage focused on the we and not my expectations. Okay, so we're going to jump back into the story. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached. So this is when they're like getting ready. They're starting to like get really... Ruth is serious about him. And this is kind of the beginning of their romantic relationship. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was the woman lying at his feet. So this is kind of like an early, like... Kind of hard to explain, but a really early, uh, an ancient way of like flirting. Like she's expressing, I, I know that I can't pursue you, but I'm asking you to, give, to notice me. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment, which is an expression of, if you put the corner of your garment over me, you're, you're pledging your, your vow to me. You're saying that you were willing to marry me spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family, which there's a lot of technical stuff here which I'm not going to get into and explain, but let's just say he has a, he, there's a potential, there's a sense of like familial responsibility that he has for her. And then and his response, the Lord bless you, my daughter. You get the sense from this that there's a significant age gap between the two. This kindness is greater than what, that which you have showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich, Or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you have asked. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And so here's this relationship where Ruth has come in. She has served. She's walked in humility. She has walked in grace. She's not trying to make a name for herself. She's not looking for prominence or recognition. And then Boaz is this honorable man who treats her with dignity. All right. I want to fast forward to a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus where he writes this about relationships. Submit one to the other out of reverence for Christ. Wives. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, when you hear this, you hear this like a bat. Submit. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I love this quote. I borrow this from Andy Stanley who said this, like relationships should, ha- should be a submission competition. I want you to notice Marriages that are about we and not me are a submission competition. Maybe make a note of that. Maybe take a screenshot of that. Marriages that are about we and not me are a submission competition. That means that I don't get to tell you to submit. If it's a competition, I am trying to outsubmit you. I, I'm lo- I'm looking to outsubmit you. I want to do. I want to submit to your desires more than you can submit to mine. It means the idea of a mutual submission competition is we are each trying to prefer the other. I want you to think about it like this: you each bring your boxes of expectations. Which one weighs more? Okay, in in this idea, Boaz said your needs weigh more than my needs. Your needs, your desires, your expectations have greater weight than mine. So if you think about them like a scale, yours carries more weight than mine. That's a mutual submission competition. I'm giving your needs more weight and you are giving my needs more weight. We're each competing to submit to the other and their desires and their expectations. It's this idea of honor. The word honor literally comes from this idea of giving weight. So if you think about it like a scale, I am giving your needs and desires weight. You're giving mine weight. Now it's important that this is mutual because if only one of you is doing this, the other is taking advantage. And remember, marriage is about we and not me. And so I'm not trying to use you. I'm trying to honor your needs and desires. You are trying to honor my needs and desires. As a result, we're each looking out for the other. Happy couples know something that other couples don't know. They know what happy people know. Happy people know that focusing on others makes me happy. Happy couples know that focusing on the needs of the other makes the couple happy. Some of you, the reason why your marriage isn't working is because you're not focusing on the fact that the lug nuts are coming off the marriage because you're only focused on you and what you get out of it rather than on what your spouse needs and what they can get out of it. So focus on the other. Look at how you can honor them. Be the kind of happy couple... That chooses to focus on the needs of the other. That's a submission competition. Paul wrote, he said, that We each submit to the other. Wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives. All the counseling, all the experience I've had in ministry has taught me this. Husbands that love well are easy to submit to. Wives that submit to their husbands, are easy to love. See, you don't get a, you don't get a jab to your spouse and go, see? No, no, no. This is one of those messages, I, like, it hurts all of us. Trust me, I'm up here preaching. this, And Laura's here. <laughs> I have to go home and live up to this. Right? Like, there's no way out of this one. Right? Because if, if you're thinking, well, if my husband loved me better, he's thinking, if she would honor me, She would respect me. And I find that what happens is when you're each blaming the other, it becomes a catch-22. But if we would each submit to the other in a submission competition, we each meet the needs of the other and our needs get met. All right, let me give you one more principle. Because in this couple, in this relationship, you see this other beautiful thing that they each chose to trust. And I want to challenge you to choose to trust. Now, Ruth had a lot to lose. She was already in poverty. She was destitute. She was really almost an outcast in their society. But you think about Boaz. I mean, he had to bring her into his home. He was, he was potentially sacrificing his wealth, inviting her in. His, his, like anything he was going to give to a child, it was going to be attached to her, right? And so he has everything to lose. They choose to trust. I want to challenge you. Your expectations, every one of us, our expectations come from our experiences, Because your experience says that people want to hurt you, people have rejected you, you choose suspicion over trust. You've been suspicious with your spouse. You're trying to catch them doing something wrong. Choose to trust. Catch them doing what's right. And then thank them. Appreciate it. Honor it. Celebrate it. (laughs) Give them the benefit of the doubt which means offer a generous explanation. That's giving the benefit out. I'm willing to offer and receive a generous explanation for your shortcomings. I choose to trust. Every couple, happy couples know that trust is a choice. A choice that you choose every day. Does that mean you're not gonna deal with the hard stuff? No, you deal with it. It's just that when you're done dealing with it, and you say, I'm sorry, or please forgive me, or I forgive you, from that point on, you choose to trust. Some of you are going, yeah, it's easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I never make, I don't pretend that what I preach is going to fix the problem. No, it's not preaching it that fixes it. It's living it. Sermons are always harder to live than they are to preach. I have to live this. You have to live it, right? But when you live this, in a marriage relationship, you got to choose to trust. Because trusting is the currency of we. Suspicion is the currency of me. It's making it about me and not we. But if you're going to make it about we and it's going to be about a healthy we, you got to choose to trust every day. And if right now there's something getting in the way of that trust, work it out. Say, please forgive me. Say, I'm sorry. Say, you're forgiven and move forward because it's about we and not me. I've challenged you in this relationship. I'm believing for within LifeHouse Church, within those of you that are connected with us online, wherever you live. Those of uh, I'm believing in, in this community, our surrounding communities for healthy marriages, for healthy we's. Not necessarily always focused on me. So I want to take a moment and pray over you, and then I want to give you a, a real practical challenge. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift of marriage, because we know that marriage is really about you. In fact, it's the greatest picture we have of the love you have for us. Paul wrote that husbands are to love their wives the way, uh, the way Jesus loved the church. And wives submit to their husbands in the same way that as Christians we submit to and respect Jesus. Help our marriages to be a living sermon of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.